All right, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here, and a special good morning to all of you online. And if you're online and you normally come and do the paper thing, um, you can't because you're not here, but we have an app for that, right? You maybe you remember those commercials when apps were new? There's an app for that. We have an app, the Common Ground app, and on that app, you can go to the Bible, you can go to sermon notes. Uh, my wife, Callie, that's what she likes to use is the app because um, then you can even email it to yourself. So I encourage you, if you don't have the app, get the app. Uh, and then especially online, you can use that and follow along like you're here with us. And, and it's full. You can't see on the camera. It's packed. Everybody else made it. So I don't know what your problem is. Um, not true. <laughs> Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Um, thank you for music and, and the ability to worship, the ability to, to sing. Uh, God, there's something about singing <laughs> that you created. There's something about uh, crying out words to you, God, a, a prayer in, in song. And God, we just thank you that you've given us that. We love you. Uh, connect with us now in, in this portion. And then as we move to singing again after the sermon, we love you. In your name, amen. So when I was uh, in college, my undergraduate uh, degree was business marketing. Uh, and so business, you know, if, if any of you were in that, there's accounting and all these other classes, but there was one thing that was required of, of all business majors, and it was a writing proficiency test. Uh, but what it was was a paper, and it was a paper that had to be turned in sometime during your college career, and you had to get, it was out of five, five points, that was it. It was kind of a pass or fail. You had to get, I think, four out of five. Maybe it was three, I don't remember exactly. But this paper, again, it was a writing proficiency. You could do it whenever. And so for me, I'm not a procrastinator. So as soon as I learned about that, my sophomore year, I'm like, I'm going to write it. I wrote the paper on the Microsoft antitrust controversy. Very interesting. So I write this paper. I turn it in. Failed. I'm like, okay. And you can only do it once a year. So my junior year, I do, right? I'm kind of stressed. I do this paper again. Turn it in. Failed. Like, okay, so senior year, it's getting to, all right, this paper is due a couple weeks before graduation, and I have to get a certain, you know, I'm stressing over this, because you have to get a four out of a five, and I just can't do it, and I met with a professor over and over and over, I'm like, what do you think, what do you, and you know, finally I turn it in, and I got like a four, the passing, whatever it was, I got a three out of a five or four out of five, I just barely passed, and then I had this friend who, I said, did you finish yours, he's like, what, the writing proficiency thing that we've had four years to do, oh shoot, I forgot. I better go do it. He got a five out of five. <laughs> and my job now is to write a paper almost every single week. Kind of weird. Um, but I'm not a procrastinator. So that was, for me, that weighed over me kind of for three years because I want to get things done. Uh, one of the things we did was a marketing report. So my senior year, again, we had to do this business marketing report. And it was a lot of fun. I did it for a Filipino bakery, which was really great because they kept giving me stuff. Um, but we do this report, you know, this, this marketing research, and then put it together, and it was pretty involved. And I had mine done probably two weeks ahead of time. So I was done. The night before it was due, I went to a computer lab. So this was like 2001. We had computer labs back then, or 2000. Um, not everybody had a computer, all this stuff, or printers. So in the computer lab at the university, my whole class was in there, like all night, putting it all together. And I was done. So I just came walking through. I'm like, hey, what are you working on? I'm done, you know, and then like midnight, I went to Taco Bell and came back with a couple bags of tacos and just, I was at peace because I was done and I had already handed it in and given it for him to even look at and go, yeah, everything's here. So I had an idea, even my grade was going to at least be acceptable. I was going to pass. Again, I'm not a procrastinator. So for me, I want to get these things done. You know, wh what about you? Because life, 
there's a lot of deadlines, aren't there? Maybe you're in school, you have tests. Uh, if you're an adult and you might have a mortgage, that mortgage is due every single month, right? What peace comes when that mortgage is paid off? And some of you are probably in that boat. There's a lot of peace, like, oh, it's the seventh of the month, already paid off. It's done. I don't have to worry about that. Well, do you realize that our greatest debt is still going to come due? Our greatest test is really yet future. When Christ returns and there will be a, a reckoning, there will be a judgment, our greatest test is yet to come. And I, I titled this sermon, Stop Procrastinating, because there is an aspect where we can have our grade done, right? We can know that when the test comes, we will complete it. We, we will pass the test because of something that's already happened. And here's the point. We can live in peace, I met with somebody just this week, and, and in this conversation, the thing that kind of came out was this person said, I just want peace. And isn't that kind of what we all want, right? Life is in turmoil. Life's a storm, right? You know, things happen, relationships, money that we can't control. But what we can have is peace in the midst of that. And there's one of those things specifically, you know, you talk about what are people's fears. You know, the top two, public speaking and death. Right? And why is death a fear of most people? Because in our hearts, we have an understanding of eternity. Right? Uh, the Old Testament says eternity is written on our hearts. In Romans, uh, Paul talks about everybody knows, just by looking at creation, there's a God. They might not know the details. So in each of us, we know there's a God, and we know something's wrong. And so there's this, this fear in us that when this debt comes due, how are we going to do? Well, we can enjoy peace when we understand what's written in Hebrews chapter 10. So turn to Hebrews 10. Uh, it is page 1,108 in the Bible in front of you. If you're at home, uh, you can flip on the app, right, to the Bible there if you want, or you can grab your Bible. Um, I prefer paper because you can write in it. But Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, we've been out of Hebrews for a little bit, but the book of Hebrews, we don't know who the author is. It's written to Jewish Christians who are tempted to walk away from their faith. They're tempted to go back to what was safe, to what they knew, to their Jewish faith. And so the theme of Hebrews is perseverance, right? It's stay the course, make it. You can, you can stick it out. And there's really five warnings kind of in the book. If you wanted to frame the book, how, how are you going to frame it out? There's five warnings in the book, and we've already seen three of them. Chapter two, it said, do not neglect this salvation, right? The idea of drifting. Don't take it lightly. This idea that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, salvation, it's a big deal. Uh, and then you move on to chapter three, where he says, don't harden your hearts, right? Sin can harden our hearts to God. We, we won't hear him. We won't obey him. So that's the other warning. Don't harden your hearts. And then chapter six, we saw, do not reject this gospel. Because again, there are some within the church that are, I, I would say, Christian adjacent, right? You know about Jesus, uh, but have never really surrendered to him. And so this warning was to that group, like, do not become an apostate. apostate. Do not go away from the faith. Do not neglect, again, this salvation because it's true. And there's actually two more warnings to come. We're going to see one in two weeks. But between these warnings, we have so much theology and truth that kind of adds to, like, here's the warning, but here's how you can succeed, right? Here's the truth around the warning to, you know, come against that, that we can have peace, we can endure. And so in Hebrews 10, 1 through 18, that's where we're going to be, we're going to see one of these truths, and I would just kind of boil it down to this. When we understand this, we can persevere 
with peace. Maybe you came in this morning, maybe you're online, and maybe, here's the cool thing about this storm and a lot of you watching online, maybe you know somebody that needs peace in their life and you can just do a quick click after this and share this, this service with somebody else. But do you need peace, right? Are you in turmoil? Is there something going on in your life? You're like, I would love to have peace. This here is gonna be extremely helpful. So we're gonna read Hebrews 10, verses one through 18. It says, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a, a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So just real quick, we're talking here about the Mosaic Law. Um, Again, he's continuing this idea that he's had before, that when Jesus came, he brought a new covenant, right? A new relationship between man and God. Before Jesus, it was through the law, the Mosaic Covenant, where they would be made right, right through these sacrifices. They would have to sacrifice for sin. Uh, If you want, like, one word, what's the issue? It's sin. Right? Sin is what separates us from God. We're born separated from God. We're born in sin. The sacrificial system provided when you sin, you sacrifice this. And so that's what he's comparing this to, uh, that Jesus, again, is better, and his new covenant is better. So continuing on, verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer an offering for sin. There's a lot there. Big idea, right? What's his main point? Here's his main point. This is in your notes or on your app, right? Earthly sacrifices under the old covenant could not fully deal with sin. Jesus' death was a single act that completely deals with sin and the sinner. That's the big idea, right? That's what we're looking at here, that these... Uh, these priests would offer a sacrifice, right, day in and day out, year after year after year, that could not fully deal with sin. So again, what's the main point? Sin. Sin separates us from God. The sacrificial system had to be done over and over and over, but Jesus came once for all. That's the main idea. You can stop listening from now on, right? But that's the big idea. Jesus died one time, 
rose from the dead one time. He's not going to die again. Why don't we use a crucifix, right? Because Jesus is not on the cross. Jesus is risen. We don't focus right now on his death. We do. But we focus on his resurrection, that he is alive. Our God is alive. He's not still on that cross. Because when he died, he was then taken off, put in the grave, and his sacrifice was acceptable to God. And so he rose from the dead. That's why we don't use, if you've ever wondered, why we don't use a crucifix, right? Our symbol is a empty cross, victory. Sorry, I got on a tangent right there. But, so, but that's the main point, that Jesus, he dealt with sin once for all. So why did I say, beginning, stop procrastinating? We're trying to deal with sin. A lot of the stress, I think, and the lack of peace in our life, especially when we think of future and maybe death and eternity, is this idea that the debt's going to come due, right? And, and even maybe you've been like me, and in your life you're sinning, and you know you're sinning, and you're like, this debt is going to come due. That's, and it, it creates some stress, anxiety, and, and maybe that should at aspects of life. But here what we're looking at is that Jesus already dealt with sin. Once for all, he's not going to have to die again, right? Through this whole thing, we're looking at old and new. Jesus fulfilled the old, and he brought in the new. He dealt with sin. He takes the law, which was external, and puts it on our hearts. And here's, we've, we've talked about this before, but this is important. Under this new covenant, right, as Christians, people under Christ, he deals with the consequence of sin, eternal, he deals with the power of sin, meaning we're not enslaved to it anymore. And he also deals, right, with the presence of sin. Now, in these lives, we will still deal with sin, but he's also given us something to do with that here and now. And we're going to get into that a little bit. But here's my point. First of all, stop procrastinating. If you are one of those, maybe you're stressing over sin, maybe you think someday I'm going to surrender to Jesus, someday I'll deal with whatever it is, today's the day. Right? It's pretty snowy out there. Just saying, you don't know what this day is going to hold. Stop procrastinating. Jesus already dealt with sin. So for you, what do you have to do to deal with sin? All you have to do is accept what he's done. Why are you waiting for it? Right? Do you feel guilt and shame over sin? Guess what? You don't need to anymore because it's dealt with. It's done. Meaning you can get over it. I should have titled it that. I guess get over it right? We can live in peace. We can live on the other side of forgiveness. You know, every Sunday morning, um, I go through and I pray through my notes and study. And that's the thing that stuck out to me right at the beginning was let's live on the other side of forgiveness, not right before, not in shame, not in guilt. So here's a point. Neither the law nor religion can provide complete forgiveness, clear your conscience, or make you complete. So he begins this chapter by, by talking about what, what the law can't do, insinuating that it's something Jesus can do, right? The law cannot make perfect. The law cannot clear the conscience. And let me say it this way, because nobody here is probably like, well, I've been struggling doing the Mosaic law. No, but you might be trying to do religion, right? Maybe it's, it's even good things, but religion is going to make you right. Coming to church, uh, reading your Bible, whatever it is, giving, some of these things are going to make you right with God. Well, they can't, right? None of those things. We do these things as an overflow, but religion isn't going to save you. And maybe you don't deal with this, but many in our culture do, right? They need to go through the steps. In fact, most people will say, you know, how do you get to heaven? By being a good person. That's religion, right? That's religion. That's doing something to be right with God. It cannot happen. So in verse 1, he says the law can never make perfect, right? 
or take away the consciousness of sins. So the point of the sermon today isn't for you to walk away going, I need to be good. So if that's what you get, that's not it. Or I need to stop sinning. The, the point is to understand that sin has been dealt with again, and you can give it to him and then walk in peace. You won't walk perfectly, probably, but you can walk in peace. So the first thing, though, is that we need to recognize, and, and we've touched on this, so we're not going to get deep, we're all born in sin, right? Again, the issue is sin. The, the story of the, the Bible is God created good, we all messed it up by sin, then how is he going to fix it? That's the story of the Bible, right? That sin is the issue, and Jesus takes care of it. And that sin creates a debt that must be paid. And either Jesus paid it, or we will pay it. And I would say it this way, Jesus did pay it, but we can choose not to accept it. It's almost like a, like a check. You've been given a check. Here's your debt, and it's going to come due later when you stand before God, and the debt is whatever amount. And Jesus already wrote the check and signed it, and he gave it to you. All you have to do is cash the check, right? But many of us don't cash that check, right? I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to choose something else rather than accepting what he has already done. And how do we be included in this idea? So verses 12 through 17 Right, we start seeing the good news of what Jesus did. How can we be included in this new covenant? We looked at it actually last week. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not law, not religion. Faith in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. Meaning who he is, right? As God in flesh. The triune God. We're confessing the right things about God. And placing our faith, our life, in his hands. So, here's, here's your next note, if you're a note taker. Deal with sin now by acknowledging that Jesus already dealt with your sin. And the benefits will change your life. Again, the benefits will change your life. And so here's, here's what I want to do now as we look at this. I want to give like a sales pitch. A sales pitch for Jesus. And I know it's one of those, like, we don't need to do it. We don't, but today we're going to a little bit. I'm going to show you three great benefits in this passage of living on the other side of forgiveness, of bowing the knee to Jesus. And if you're a believer, this is for you to look at, am I living in this? Am I experiencing this? And if you're here or you're watching online and you have not yet bowed the knee to Jesus, here's the sales pitch. Now, the first one is it's true and it's the only way. So there's not, it's not like one is better than the other, right? This is the only way, but it's also one that will change your life. And here's number one, three things that Jesus' once-for-all payment accomplishes for the believer. First one. Jesus makes his follower perfect. Anybody confused? <laughs> Jesus makes his follower perfect. You look in verse 1, it says the law cannot make them perfect. Now you look at verse 14. What's he saying in 14? For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Meaning the believer is made perfect. What does that mean? If you think it means you're sinless, right, and you'll never do anything wrong, then you're going to be afraid, right? Because then when you do sin, you realize, oh, I must not be a believer, I'm, right? So what does he mean by perfect? The word perfect actually means to consummate or to complete. Uh, interesting, it's the same root word as telescope. So you have a telescope, and when that telescope is fully extended, you use it, right? That's what it's made to do. 
Um, I don't know if you've ever had a telescope. I taught on this years ago, and I actually bought one, um, and it wasn't very good. But you look through, it's all blurry until you extend it, and then it actually works kind of. But that's the idea. That's what it's made to be. So the believer is made to be what they were intended to be. That's the idea of perfect. Uh, It's the idea of complete in the Old Testament and the New as well. But the idea of peace is kind of a similar idea. It's an idea of being made what we're supposed to be with God. And so we have peace because we are complete. We are perfect. Now, an aspect of perfect is also being sanctified. So look at verse 10 real quick. It says, verse 10, and by that will, meaning God's will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This is a past tense. It says we have been sanctified. And later it's going to say we he perfects for all time those who are being sanctified. So the word is used two different times, one past tense, one present tense with ongoing implications. So this past tense, what's sanctified? The word sanctified means to be made holy. That's what it means. And so under the old law, under the old covenant, uh, even the, the things used in the temple were sanctified by a sacrifice. And then the blood, they would sprinkle these things. They would sprinkle the altar. They would sprinkle the dishes. They would sprinkle the people, which is kind of weird. But, but that's the idea of the blood was sanctifying, meaning making something or somebody holy and right. Making somebody acceptable or purified is a really good idea of that, right? Cleansed. That's the picture we get with sanctification or even with being made perfect. Believers are forever in the realm of the holy and purified. Again, he has made perfect. This is huge. How can you live in peace right now? By realizing you're already made perfect. Now, again, there's implications of that, but just to rest, meaning it's done. God looks at you and says, acceptable. That's huge. Rather than the idea that we need to go through our life trying to make ourselves acceptable to God, we can't. We're already perfect. He already looks at you, and he sees what Christ did, and he says, you're good. That's huge. This is what I mean by living on the other side of forgiveness. That will change your life. And here's here's the example that came to mind. It might not be the best, but I think it's pretty good. We love to boat. That's one of the things we like to do as a family. We have this old boat, um, and we've only been stranded out on the lake like five or six times on it. So it's pretty reliable. Um, but we love to boat, and the kids will bring their friends along. Um, and sometimes one of their friends will show up, and we'll be like, hey, you know, we're going to spend all day on the boat. This is going to be great. Um, where's your life jacket? I don't have one. That's all right. Uh, where's your lunch? Well, I didn't pack one. You brought water, though. We're going to be out in the sun. No, I didn't bring any water. Sunblock, you're pretty white. No, no, right? So, I mean, and this happens. These kids will come, and it's like, what did you think we were doing today? Did you bring a swimsuit? I got that. Okay, great. Well, for us, we then bring down our trash bag, and we dump out all the life jackets, and we're like, pick one that fits, <laughs> right? And then Callie's like, I actually already prepared a lunch. I expected this. Um, and here's an extra water bottle, and we give you that, and we got lots of sunblock. So then we take this person that's not prepared, and we make them prepared, right? We, we give them everything they need to have this day on the boat. That's what happens with God. That's what this is talking about. We come as we are. God does everything to make us acceptable to him. He does, we show up empty-handed. And he's like, I will sanctify you. I will give you forgiveness. I will give you, I will give all of this to you. We bring nothing to the table. That's the point of this, right? That we are already perfect. 
We are holy. We are sanctified. And guess what? You can look in the mirror, and it's not based on what you see. It's not based on what you do or what you've done. It's based on Jesus alone. But now, the other part of this is that we are being sanctified. This is really cool, right? We are sanctified, but we're also being sanctified because now you are thinking, but I still struggle with sin, right? I'm not perfect yet. I I don't love people the way I I should love people. I mean, go down the list of whatever it is. We are still in a process, and this is the one part of salvation, right? Under salvation, there's three parts. Justification, we're right with God alone, uh, by, you know, by his work alone, we're, we're good. That's the idea of being perfect. Sanctification, the process of becoming like Christ, which we participate in. And then glorification, the future, when we get a new body. And again, we do nothing to earn that. Like, that's all God's work, the glorification, which is going to be great. A new body, new heaven, new earth. But this part, this part of sanctification, we do participate in. But again, this is huge. We participate it on the other side of forgiveness. So we're not doing it to earn anything. We're not doing it to gain. We're doing it, again, on the other side. I think of marriage. This is another horrible example that came to me this morning that I wasn't going to share, but I guess I will. Um, is, is that, like, I got married 20-ish years ago, um, and she stuck, right? So she said, I do, and this is what she got. Um, and now we're living on the other side of that commitment, um, and I can do whatever I want because she's not going anywhere. Not really, but, but that's a little bit of the idea. There's a peace in our relationship, right? And so now my loving her and my, this morning I got up and she's in bed. I, I get the fire ready. It's snowy outside. And I know later she's going to want to go in the hot tub, so I flip the breaker and turn that, right? I'm not doing that to earn her love because I already got her and she's stuck. It's, it's an, do you know what I mean? It's an after the fact. It's a part of the relation, part of the love. And that's the same with us and God. Now there's the good things and we want to become more like Christ. But it's not to earn anything. It's because we love him. It's on the other side of forgiveness. And in 2 Peter 1.3, Peter gives us some, some helpful insight on this. It says this. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Again, God is not interested in religious ritual. He wants heartfelt obedience, and he gives us the ability to do it. He gives us, again, this new heart. All right. So again, that's, that's what we've already seen. He makes us perfect. That's under number one. Number two, sales pitch, right? You can be made perfect. And two, Jesus clears the conscience of the believer. That's, this is an interesting one. Because at the beginning, it says, right, this, these sacrifices cannot clear the conscience of the sinner. But yet, Jesus can. What does it mean? Here's what it doesn't mean. The NIV translate this, uh, and they would no longer feel guilty for their sins. That's not the best translation, right? The best translation really is probably the, the ESV here. Right, chapter or verse 2, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. What's that talking about? Uh, this is the idea of, of guilt and shame. So this is the really cool part of, again, we're living after forgiveness, but yet we're still going to struggle with sin. And so we can struggle with sin and want to do what's right and, and, but, and then not dwell in, in shame. Here's what happens with a lot of believers. We start to struggle with sin, we de- whatever, and so we, we put up barriers between us and God. Oh, I'm not good enough for God, and so we step away. 
We step away. And then we'll step away from community. We step away from other believers because I'm struggling with this. I'm not good, right? No. Here, it's been dealt with. We don't need to live in shame, and so we can lean into Jesus. We can lean into the community. Uh, so often I talk to people and, you know, I've got this sin and they're struggling. I'm like, you're not as bad as you think you are. Or I guess everybody else isn't as good as you think they are. Right? We all have these struggles and we, we're on the same boat. We don't have to live in, in shame and in condemnation. I think that's the word. Condemnation or a fear of coming punishment for that sin. Jesus clears the conscience of the believer. And again, here's the next note. The believer will be convicted of sin while at the same time not feeling the shame and condemnation because that sin has already been paid for. That sin has already been paid for. Now, we, we do feel something when we sin, and we should, right? We should feel this sense of, of a little bit of guilt or what we might call conviction of God saying, this isn't what I want for you. This isn't what's best for you. This doesn't glorify me. And so we, we realize sin is sin. We quickly repent and turn back to him and, and recognize this forgiveness, right? And then we're, we're good because he has dealt with it. So stop procrastinating. If you are feeling shame and guilt for your sin, you don't have to anymore. You can live on the other side of forgiveness. Again, that's where this peace comes from. It's really good news. So Jesus already dealt with it once for all. What's your problem? All you have to do is accept it. All you have to do is receive it. It's really good news. And now here's number three. Jesus secures perfect forgiveness and eternal life. Perfect forgiveness. This is really cool. Look at uh, verse 11 with me. It says, and every priest, and this is again under the Mosaic law, these priests who were offering sacrifices for sins. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Here's, here's the picture. It's the, the priest, and their job, again, was to sacrifice, and every day they're doing the same thing over and over and over because it can't fully deal with sin. It can't fully take away sin. This is the picture if you have kids, you clean the house, then the kids come home. They mess it up again, right? Doing the same thing. Yeah, some parents are looking at kids. Um, it's right every day, like, do I have to cook again? I mean, I vacuum the same again. That's kind of the, the picture here. These priests are doing the same thing over and over, but not Jesus. Jesus instead, verse uh, 12 but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. We could have titled, I think, this sermon, The God or the Priest Who Sits. What is someone sitting? What are they doing? They're, they're not working. They're done. Jesus is sitting. And that's the point. There's the priest working day in and day out. And there's Jesus who did it one time and then sat down at the right hand of the Father. And this is a horrible picture, but I had this this morning of him peeling an apple, right? All these priests are here going, and he's just, he's like, I'm done. <laughs> I, I did it once, and, and I can, we can rest. We can rest with him because it's done once for all, right? And that idea, once for all, Jesus died one time for all people, absolutely, yes. His sacrifice was good enough for all, right, and effectual for those who will surrender to him. And it was one time. Again, it's not going to happen again. A lot of times uh, we get stuck in this because we're human. But churches might teach this too in religion that, yeah, Jesus did some, but you still need to do this, this, and this to complete your forgiveness, to complete whatever it is. Like, no, it's, 
it is complete. It is done. And everything we're doing now is in response. Because verse 17. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. God chooses to forget every sin the believer ever commits. Wow. He chooses to forget every sin. So when you stand before God, how many sins is he going to bring up? None. None. There are two judgments in the end. There's what's called the great white throne judgment, which is the one where the books are open. Are you in or are you out? And if you have not surrendered to Jesus as Lord, your name is not in that book and, and hell is a real place. But then there's another judgment called the Bema Seat Judgment, where believers stand before him. But guess what? This isn't for sin. This is for rewards. This is where the book is going to be opened on your life and what you've done, and you're going to receive rewards. So the, the picture that kind of came to mind, this idea is, you know, this project that I did, I knew I was going to get a passing grade. I was done. I was at peace. Everybody else is working hard, and I'm eating tacos. Um, but... Again, I, the final grade, there were still some other things to do. I could get kind of a better grade, uh, which is kind of weird. But So we're living this life. Again, we're in. We're secure. But there are some rewards that we'll get from living in a, a life that honors God. But he chooses to forget every sin the believer commits. Meaning, if he forgets it, why do you keep bringing it up? Right? That your own mind keeps reminding you, or maybe it's Satan. Remember what you did? You're so good. You're so nasty. You're so, remember that thing you did last week, five years ago? What, God has chosen to forget it. So why do you keep bringing it up? Why do you keep remembering it? Or why do you keep bringing it up with somebody else? Right? Their sin. God has chosen to forget. We can too. So what's the point? How can this really be useful? Again, I gave this sales pitch. What difference does this make? And I think Paul in 2 Corinthians kind of nails down how I think this can apply, how this can change our life today. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. He says here, the light momentary affliction. Can you look at the things in your life and say, this is light and momentary. This, this isn't that big a deal. You can, living on the other side of forgiveness, you can. We, we can view these things as we, we don't have to earn, we're secure, and now we can carry out the rest in peace because it's already been dealt with. Stop procrastinating. You know, we, uh, I've heard it said, and, and I think it's true, your house is never done until you go to sell it. Um, and it's true, like we have our house, we, we built it six years ago, I don't, something like that. Um, and there's this spot where I put in speakers and you, if you've been at my house, you've seen it. I, I started to cut them in, and I hit something. I had to move them. Well, guess what? I've never fixed the drywall. And, every, right? and I sit down in the living room, and I look at them. Um, going down our stairs, we had to move some lights, and there's holes in the drywall going down the stairs, and we had a snake get loose once, and, of course, they're scared it's down there, whatever. Like, when we go to sell the house someday, we're going to fix those. Well, why don't I just fix them now and enjoy it being done. You know what I mean? My point with that is it's kind of this. Stop procrastinating. 
Uh, the sin in your life, right? Or, or maybe you've never dealt with sin. Deal with it now, and then you can live in peace, enjoy, right? Live on the other side of forgiveness. Don't put it off till later. Deal with it now and enjoy the blessing. I, I hear this all the time from maybe older folks, right, regretting, why didn't I do this earlier? Why didn't I surrender to Jesus earlier? Like, hey, you can't control the past, but you can control now. And God in his grace has chosen to save you at whatever age that would be. But for us and for us watching online, today, let today be that day where we move past forgiveness. Stop procrastinating. Let's pray. God, we love you. <laughs> um, Jesus, I, I love this fact that we can live on the other side of forgiveness. Um, we, we can't earn forgiveness. Um, we can't earn your love. It's freely given. And we can live without shame by recognizing you have made us perfect, not sinless. But you look at us as perfect. And you've given us everything we need to walk in a way that glorifies you. Um, I thank you for that. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we're going to move to a time of communion as we worship. Um, and if you're new here, communion, this is for believers. Uh, this is a time to remember Jesus' death and his resurrection, and we look forward to his coming again. And so we take the cup, remembering his blood spilt for us. We take the bread, remembering his body broken for us. And again, we have three stations there, there, and there. Um, and I encourage you, just take a minute before you get up. Uh, pray, thank Christ for what he's done. Ask him maybe to reveal in you sin that needs to be given up. Uh, maybe you already know what it is. And you can ask him, right, that you'll recognize your forgiveness and move past. And here's a couple things that... Two uh, next steps, and you can do this just in your own heart. You can do it by filling it out, or you can even go to our prayer walls, you know, right there and stick it in the prayer wall. But here's the first one. Identify an ongoing sin in your life, confess it, repent of it, and enjoy forgiveness. Right? That's the first one. Or number two, admit that past sin that you still feel guilty about. God has forgotten it. Now it's your turn. So those are our two next steps. I'm going to be in the back right. If you want to come talk to me or pray with me, I'd love to do that.